conversations where I said, you do realise that I am a member of Counting Colston and that I fundamentally don't want to live in a city where where there's a statue for Colston, schools are named after him. And she said she, she knew that. So I, I didn't go in there as an agent. I went in there having, having had a full, frank conversation. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. Marty Burgess recently became the first black member of the Merchant Venturers, an almost 500-year-old organisation that was heavily involved in the transatlantic slave trade and counted Edward Colston as a member. A solicitor by day, by night, she is the queen of the Bristol club scene. She comes from the infamous Burgess family, who own many hotspots in the city, including Lakota. The, of, the obvious question, as, as a black person, how difficult was it for you to decide to join, in essence, in its kind of roots, is fundamentally a, a, a racist organisation? Um, so I'm just going to accept that statement because I mean I'm not I'm not even going to get into the argument of challenging it, but um, yeah. but I do think that's unfair of some of the individuals that I've got to know over the last few months. Um, I, as an institution, yeah, as, as an institution, uh, yeah. but I live in this country, and I think you know, as Stormzy says, is this country still a racist country? Yes. So as a black person joining any institution in this country you're joining at what could be classified as a racist institution. The the royal family, the government, there's not any bit of this country and this city that isn't really tainted by that history. I did my postgrad at Bristol Uni. Bristol Uni was founded by the Wills family who made their money from tobacco grown by black Americans who were enslaved. The cathedral, the church, you know, the church opposed the abolition of this transatlantic slave trade. You know, mm-hmm. We could go yeah. through all of the, the Bristol Institute. The old Vic was founded with money that was, um, you know, people made their money, a lot of them, from, you know, the enslavement of people of African descent. So everywhere I go, yeah. I could... Yeah, make, yeah I get you know, that. I, I get have... that. Uh, you know, because I think that any invitation to, to the merchants, it's primarily philanthropic or for, for one of the... I can't pronounce that right, or business kind of acumen. Do you see yourself as a businesswoman... Uh, going into the merchants as as a, as a lawyer with, who has success in, in in a certain arena, or do you see yourself as a an advocate for the black community going in, or or is it a bit of both? It's all you're you're all of you're all of your bits, aren't you? So I've gone in there as um, every bit of me because they fund things. They have a, a big endowment fund to fund social enterprise, and they also uh, educate a lot of people at a lot of schools. And they, they're one of the biggest providers of adult social care. So by me being there, then perhaps that some of that largesse can be directed towards a community that they probably have no idea what's going on. So there's that yeah. aspect. But then obviously, you know, I am a corporate lawyer. There's that aspect of me which can see benefits of joining. And then there's just the also the absolute the curious person in me which thinks that this is an invitation into a world that I've not really experienced and I'm going to, I'm going to experience it. 
How did how did how does it work? How do they invite you? Is it a, a, a kind of conversation? So I was invited to a, a dinner there, and then I got invited to a lunch, and then I went out for coffee with someone who I know and respect very very much, and he said, "If you were to get an invite, would you consider it?" And so I went home and spoke to a couple of people I know, friends, and said, "I think I'm being sounded out here," and and then it continued like that for a while, and then I. I received a formal invitation. And you are the first black person to ever be a merchant venturer? Yeah, I don't think I'm the first who's been invited. I think I'm the first who's been... Um, the first to I was going to say stupid enough, yeah. but no, the first person to uh, think, give it a walk. Because I know, I know a couple other people who, uh, yeah. who've been asked, but... My sense is you going in now will be received differently than it would have done five, ten years ago for a, for a number of reasons. And I think... And, I, and I've, I've had people say this to me directly that maybe traditionally some people whose approach to to political struggle is more to shake up the institutions, to kind of chuck, chuck rocks from the outside of the tent, for want of a better word, are more open and receptive to you moving in than they would be 10 years ago. Because the very fact that you can see the impact in a very short period of time regardless of your politics and regardless of you think of success in different areas, but you cannot deny since Marvin Rees has been mayor, the amount of black people that have been put into positions, you know, the stepping up program, the amount of black people that put into different institutions and leadership roles um, has been significant. My sense would be that they would, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't accept being an emotional venture if they were asked, but I think they would probably be quite supportive. Has that been your experience since you went public on this? Yeah. So, I haven't really had much negativity yeah. other than um, from places where I would have expected to get negativity. Yeah. And then there's been some people who've absolutely surprised me by being supportive when I was kind of nervous about telling them. Kind of what I mean. Um, Those are the people that I've yeah. been quite that I've been quite surprised. I was expecting, you know, because there is a there is a cultural context to this within the black community that a lot of white people don't understand as well, isn't there? Yeah. So yeah, I've been. Um, so I'm not going to say it's been nobody's objective. Somebody who I really respect said to me that it really upset. It really upset her. Yeah. You know, I just gave her my reasons and said, "Look, none of us know how it's going to pan out. It could be a huge disaster for me on a personal level. You know, I kind of wear my integrity on my sleeve, and I'm quite an honest and open person. Yeah. It could turn out that I turn around and say to everyone that was a really crap decision. Yeah." But yeah, I think people are more willing to try things because look, the the struggle being black has been a struggle. Yeah, yeah. being black and f- fighting for the cause yeah. has always yeah. been a struggle. Yeah, but uh, the, we've tried the same way to fundamentally shift things for a long time, yeah. and I think people now think you, you know you might as well try every other way. And someone like Marvin going for the mayorality that's like the ultimate step up isn't it and you're going to take all of the flat that comes with it in order to try and achieve change which is what everyone's been after yeah and if if as a city that by all of these various people stepping it up and by all of the allies out there who know that change is absolutely necessary and from both a race and class perspective I think this is our moment, isn't it, as a city, that if we can all work towards the goal, we want to live in a sort of fair and equal city where your life chances 
are not affected by which part of the city you're born in mm. or the color of your skin, then well, as a city, we would have achieved something. But if we sit outside it and just say, I hate it here, this is why I hate it, I'm going to rail against every bit of it and yeah. not going to step up, then we won't get, we won't get anywhere. We're, we are like a living an experiment. And if we can crack it, then everyone, you know, I say this all the time. I'm a well-traveled person. Bristol's a special place and it's special because of geography. I don't know what it is, but it makes it that we know what the problems are. And if we can crack it everywhere in the world, you're looking at us and thinking that's what, that's the model you should follow. And I suppose we've seen an example of that, haven't we, with the statue coming down, it was just kind of exactly. sort of tied. Yeah, but that's not, that, that, I mean, without, you know, that is a huge, great symbolism, take the statue down. That doesn't, that doesn't change anything. What it, what it does is eye-catching. It's massive. It puts the eyes of the world on us. Yeah. But does it change anything? Does it mean that 8% of the kids from Hartcliffe yeah. leave school and go on to university where at the same time as 100% of 18-year-olds in Clifton leaving school and going on to university. Yeah. You know, we, that's the city we live in where we have that stark inequality and unless we can change those stats, that we've done nothing, we've brought a statue down, whoopee-doo. Yeah. Everyone knows that I am, am a big supporter of Marvin. Yeah. But I'm also, one of the reasons I think what he, he's done is um is really a culture shift is the one city model yeah. and if that if you can get that model to work where you, it's not just a group of people in power or a group of people from one political party looking at a problem what he's saying is this is our city's problem all of you from you know third sector corporate sector education sector unit further education and sit in a room together and that, well, let's let's look at the problem, and you all give give us your ideas around solutions. It's not ideal, but at least it's better than where we were before, because yeah. I think the one city approach, if again, it's a uniquely Bristol approach to looking at. Yeah, the criticism of the one city thing, by in some quarters, is that it's kind of unelected power. If it was just elected people, then it would just be politicians, wouldn't it? I mean, and if, I, I've, I've heard that criticism because yeah. I get I get it all the time. Oh, why do you sit on that board? Why do you sit yeah. on that board? You're not elected. You, you know, now I'm now I'm not elected. But if I'm, you know, I'm just putting in my own personal time to help something. Yes, you might get it wrong on the on the way, and yes, you you need to make sure you listen to other people. But yeah. that's all part and parcel. I, I think that whole unelected accusation is. Yeah. You can. It's easy to criticise stuff. Criticisms of Bristol for, for, for many years, from when I was growing up to in my twenties, is that when we had sort of council deadlock, where nothing, was a, nothing ever changed. Always, every time there's a stadium, somebody blocks it. Every time there's, a, we've always been resistant to. So do you know why? Because those voices are amplified. The people who say, "Oh, you're un- unelected," so that I'm. What I'm meant to do is get all that abuse thrown at me and then I back off and don't do it and then you don't do it and then say see nothing gets done if you've got you know a good leadership and good people involved and everyone working towards the end goal and and growing a thick skin and putting up the flag in 10 years time you can look back and say something was achieved then that's fine nothing it doesn't it's none of it's a quick fix you know solving Bristol's problems is not a quick fix what I've been really pleased about and not just because I'm white 
but it is the fact that Marvin does also talk about class. There's you know, a, a massive disparity in life expectancy uh, if you live in Hartcliffe, if you live in Clifton, you know. So the Runnymede stats, the only reason the race stuff has been picked up on by everybody is because of the great work that Black South West Network has done to get that um, information yeah. out there. But actually, if you analyse the running stats, they reveal there's not only a problem with race in Bristol, there's a problem with yeah. class. And I think that is something that um, we as Bristolians know that, that Bristol's a great city for people who come in from outside or if you're middle class, but there's a lot of people who get left behind. We've got certain disconnected communities where the whole terrible transport yeah, system you can't have one community and say, oh, you're going to improve things for them, but leave another behind. There is that shared synergy between working class people from Hartcliffe or people from St. Paul's, that there is that sense of, of feeling slightly kind of alienated. And I think there is a, if we can get those people in the same room and, and, and talk about this kind of stuff, I think it's a, it's a great wedge um, to divide from from this sort of, this global upsurge of the far right again is is exploiting this kind of division and we've only seen what's happened of how some people are misinterpreting the black lives matter message and and how you respond to that and, and what you do that, that's why whatever is done now in bristol needs to be really carefully thought yeah. through because it can't be an immediate reaction okay we're gonna we're gonna do this for the black community because black lives matter is actually some of the um issues why black lives matter exists also affects other people yeah. it's not a lack of knowledge though is it that we all know the problems in the yeah. city because if you even look at the covid what that's revealed you're more impacted if you're black but also if you're working class yeah i mean that's you know, because of the social conditions it. isn't it with, with if, if you're black it's primarily i know there's yeah. a statistical higher amount of key workers but that's all to do with social economic conditions which yeah, yeah it's, it's to do with it's to do with the biggest problem in this city which is inequality. Yeah. What do you think that, uh, I mean, I, I remember when I interviewed Latoya for the Post with regards to uh, funding for the Merchant Ventures for Carnival, and I think she said, it's our money. I flippantly said, yeah, as part of my uh, desire for reparations, I'm going to drink as much as their wine and eat as much as their yeah. food as possible. Yeah. So it, I guess where you're leading to is what role do the merchants? I mean, I'm a I believe in reparations. You do, right? Okay, yeah. My family from Jamaica. Yeah. Jamaica was a country that had a really tiny population of native um, Native Americans, indigenous population, got wiped out by the Spanish and the British. So they then transported a load of people from Western Africa to work there to make sugar. Yeah. That country only really exists to produce sugar the Western European palette. Then Britain decides, post-colonial era, it decides that it wants sugar beet. So this, you've got this country, which has, yes, it's got um, some natural resources in terms of bauxite. Yes, it has things it can produce, like on the farms and sell this country. And yes, it's got tourism. But actually, it's a poor country because of what happened, the transatlantic slave yeah. trade. You can't separate what the people in the Caribbean have to endure in terms of their life chances from what this country has done. So what does that mean? And how do you do reparations? You know, there are clever people out there that, um, who can come up with solutions. But I fundamentally believe that there's a debt owed to the people in the Caribbean, plus the people who live here and struggle with the impacts of the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. But in addition to that, You've got to look at, um, you know, the 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 class system in, in this country 
has impacted on lots of other people too. Everything this country stands yeah. for, which is about keeping poor people down, needs to be questioned. There's white privilege, you know, that's a reality. But within within white privilege itself and what I would call white culpability, within the class system, there's, there's levels of culpability to this. And, you know, the white working classes made very little money out of, out of the colonialism. It was, it was the kind of middle class and upper classes. And actually, if they start to think that, you know, you, you were, you were, a, uh, you were a victim of the system you know, in a completely different way, but you were also not a beneficiary of this. And, and I think that between the black community and the white working class community, that conversation, which is that, uh, you know, people should not be doffing their cap to Edward Colston if you're a white working class person either. Frederick Douglass came to Bristol, yeah. right? And his speech to the people of Bristol was pretty much like that. I mean, I can't remember all of it off the top of my yeah. head. That was, you know, in the 18... It was post-Britain's the transatlantic slave yeah. trade, but it was still when it was still going on in America, and he came here. And his speech around that exact thing was, actually, we are the same you know, it's not us and you. It's we should be all together to fight what is a ruling class problem. Yeah. yeah. So you know, that's not a new thing. Yeah. It's just that we we spent all this, you know, wasted a lot of time. Is we shouldn't be competing for who gets downtrodden the most. We should be working together to sort of free yourselves from the oppression, yeah. which affects everybody. Yeah, and 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 I and I guess the reality in in terms of how you potentially build, you know, in big infrastructure projects, big social projects needs money, um, and obviously lots of cuts to local government. It's the damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Is if people in the city, i.e., the merchant ventures, have money, have access to capital, have access to funding. Do you take a, a principled position and say, I will not take blood money, for want of a better word? Or do you say, well, actually, um, you know, and I'm sure there are people in the merchant ventures that have got, you know, that don't, that have, have, that don't have a, don't particularly have an allegiance to, towards, towards kind of the, the legacy of their organisation either, I would imagine. But do you, do you, do you say, no, I will not take that money? Or do you find ways in which you can use that effectively to make social change? Um, no? My view, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, just, I'm just thinking it's a it's a it's a it's a killer question. Now. Okay. Um, the whole the, 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 look if you if people have principles, then that's entirely up to them to stick to their principles. However, when you need something, you take it from who's offering it, don't yeah. you? And so my 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 view is the the merchants do have power in the city and they they should be involved in the progressive push for change yeah. and I, whether they should be involved and be um you know is what is a balance isn't it you know they if people call them the power behind the city i don't i think they're one question is do they have as much power as people think they that, do i don't know that yet i haven't worked i haven't yeah, worked that out yeah i can't, i can't see that they do but then i might be um thinking of it incorrectly however what they do have is they do have wealth and they also have a a vast network of people who are senior leaders in corporates in the nhs in the education system and so can they collectively help 
the city progress to being more fair and equal? Yes. And should they? Of course they should. That's the whole point. They should step up and take part in it. They can't sit in their ivory tower and resist change and then stay as they are. They've got to be, they've got to be involved. And if they don't step up, then I'd be the first to be, you know, like be call, calling They're them calling out. You, some think, people call you Agent Marty on um, Twitter after the statement that came out post, which I think was a week after <laughs> with the statement. Um, I, I think that would be a, do a disservice yeah. um, me getting all the credit to yeah. Caroline Duckworth, who's the, the effectively the CEO. Yeah. She she is a, she is a dynamic woman yeah. and she has um, she's been working in that organisation I think for five years or so. And if you if you actually going to credit anyone with the change, okay. it should be her. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to take any credit. I mean, it was speaking to her. Was she was she a, was she a key um, catalyst in you deciding to take the to take the step? Then Caroline, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You know, she. I said to her that when I had one of the conversations where I said, "You do realise that I am a member of Counting Colston, and that <laughs> I fundamentally don't um, don't um, want to live in a city where." Where there's a statue for Colston, schools are named after yeah. him, and she said she she was she knew that, yeah. and she said she she was she was happy with it. So I I didn't go in there as an agent. Yeah. I went in there having having had a full frank conversation yeah. about um, that my belief system around the decolonization. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a sort of slightly tongue in cheek comment when someone said, but by definition, somebody like you who you are, what you represent, but your kind of value system as well. And I guess that's the acid test, isn't it? If you are given, you are given a genuine voice to be listened to and to be heard and to use your position to navigate change, great. Or, or you know, the, the other, I guess, slightly more cynical view would be in, the wine and run. in 2020, they have to have black people, they have to have women that, you know, it's not a good look. I guess yeah. the proof is, is, in, is in the pudding. I guess the one real kind of question is about the kind of influence and power and wealth. How much real kind of power do they hold? Or is it really, which I, I don't know, yeah. you know, this, this may well be, is it a case of, is it a little bit of Wizard of Oz with this stuff? The kind of myth is hyped to a point that it's become this figure. and, and, and... Yeah. yeah, so that's how I thought. I don't see, so yeah. I've only been a member for uh, four months. I don't see any Svengali figure pulling all the strings across the city. What I see are a group of people, some of who via wealth or some of via their profession or their business are in leadership positions across the city. And because of that that collective, they are able to um, make things happen if they want to make things happen. I haven't yet. And, you know, it might be that I'm not, I've not, come across it yet I haven't seen any great desire to control the city and I've seen a group of people having to react to the city carrying on around them and trying to navigate their own way in it so yeah. you know, there's some good I, I've met I've met some you know in that short space I've met people who are, are really um yeah. who I quite like quite friendly some more interested yeah. in civic life some not so interested in civic life uh, is it not like the the Masons? You go into the Masons, and there's the Masons fundraising charity events, nice meals, and then there's the Scottish right third degree Masons, which is the room at the top, which is where all the sort of sinister conversations and more controlling things take place. I, I have not been to anything yeah. where they've made a toast to Colston, they've raised a glass to him. 
I've not seen any of that. And those are the... Well, there is the nails thing, isn't it? The nails and hair. That is a thing that, that used to happen. Uh, I just wanted to jump in and explain this whole hair and nails thing. Rumours have abounded for years that the merchants revered the hair and actual nail clippings of Edward Colston, and they were on display at Merchants Hall, where they are based uh, up near the promenade near Clifton Suspension Bridge. They supposedly used to bring them out for meals and lunches and for people to buy before them. Yeah, that that is yeah. that is a thing. So the first dinner I went there, a person who invited me, I said, can you show me that cabinet? Where yeah. this, where this, did you see it? Did you? Okay. I saw it and I took a photograph of it and yeah. I sent it to a couple of friends of mine who were right. amazed by it. However, I, I've been back several times since and that cabinet has been disappeared. It is a bit weird. <laughs> it's, it's a bit odd, isn't very it? very weird. And it is weird. Yeah. You know, there's lots of people who've written about it. Everyone knows how weird it is yeah. that there's a cult of Colston. Um, yeah. said, as a person with Jamaican heritage, I just find it not not just weird, but just quite offensive. But um, I haven't yeah. taken part in anything, and I have no intention. I wouldn't raise it if someone said, "Let's raise a glass for Colston." I would sit down, possibly even walk out. So right. I haven't seen any weird rituals. I mean, you know, I just haven't seen it. So it, you, haven't it, had, you haven't had to have your trade leg up or under the air, all that sort of I've stuff. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. I've had nothing like that. It's all been quite normal no. and friendly. Oh, I was hoping it was going to be, you know, no, um, no I'm not. Like I've not sworn to secrecy about what I'm allowed to say about it. I haven't seen any. Um, I mean, I haven't. You seen don't have any. to do that then, because obviously in the Masons you do. I mean, I, I've I've actually I did an article where I was a, a Freemason for the day, and I kind of followed them around, and I went into the chamber at the bottom of Park Street, spoke to them, and there were you know, there were certain things they couldn't show me, certain things, and they admitted that that they couldn't say on record. So there's nothing like that. It doesn't have any of those kind of Masonic things. No, I've not seen anything like that. Okay. So no, honestly, I'm not lying. Yeah. I wouldn't lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, no, no. Okay. Now, I come from a working class black family who've yeah. done it, who've done well for themselves. You know, my family came here early, and they've been able to learn to navigate it and yeah. set up a business. Well, and that's um, a story, really. But you've yeah. clearly been accepted by the fact that you've been invited, yeah, to be a merchant venture by that British classes and by definition, haven't you? Yeah, I guess I, I guess so. But I still doesn't mean to say I. I but by into, but if you're black, you you wear your race first. Yeah. But I mean, I I like new experiences. The whole thing about joining the merchants, I think, if you're going to change anything in this city, you need to be occupying every space. You know, Salon sings about the seat at the table. The merchants carry a lot of sway in the city, whether you like it or not. And as I said to somebody the other day, who was really, um, you know, someone I respect and like very much says you oh now you're in you should bring them down i said look there's a route <laughs> if people want to bring them down there's a route to yeah. do that so just carry on it it yeah carry on just you know leave me yeah. out of it because i wouldn't join something just with the deliberate thing of being destructive yes right. i would like to use whatever influence i can bring to them to, to make them better yeah lovely pretty well what's what's next for you anything exciting on the horizon um I've got to go and cook dinner for Bentley and James. We've got to, we've got to sit down and trawl through the guidelines um, published yeah. by the government last night on how to open. And oh God, yeah, it's the new open, yeah. Yeah, currently it looks like we're going to have to be fleet of foot and work out what we can do. We had a series of comedy nights booked. It looks like we can't do that. So it's whether we can um, have the comedians inside and scream outside. 
we're just going to go through the regulations now and work out what we can and can't do. And what are you cooking, Marty? And this makes me sound like a complete elitist, but I literally am about to eat lobster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's a lovely, great, that's a great way to end. I'll I'll leave you with your your lobster. Okay. So thank you so much, Marty, for that. Hi, this is Rosa. I edit the show. Just a quick note to say, we're also releasing a bonus episode today where Neil and Marty discuss the past, present and future of Lakota. If you're subscribed, it will just be in the feed. If not, just search for Bristol Unpacked in any podcatcher of your choice. I heartily recommend having a listen. It's proper interesting. If you enjoyed Marty, you will love next week's episode. It's a true artist, one of the most eccentric in Bristol, a working-class hero from Lawrence Western Council Estate, Jimmy Goldine. He's not shy of giving his opinion. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.